Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come. Our first award goes to the vampires for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. Quickest way to find me is to go to lenanazari.com. You can see my appearances, links to my social media. You can sign up for my fanged family, my street team. That's really the best place to go. You can find me on social media. Just look for the Beautiful Dead podcast. But um, the website is the uh, hub, I guess you could say, for it all. First week of uh, daylight savings. So we've had extra daylight. I mean, it is what it is, right? I'm not a daylight person, but I'm happy for those of you who love to live in the sun because now we're going to get some extra sun. Here in Pittsburgh, though, we don't get too much sun, so it's not really affecting me much as all, at all. As a matter of fact, we're having a lovely blizzard outside right now, so it's cold and it's dark and it's been that way all day. So good place if you're a vampire. Uh, if you hear the jingle jangling at my feet... That would be Miss Juliet, who was sleeping right up until I said good morning to you, or good evening to you. So we just took that collar off, so you won't have to listen to the tinkle tinkle of Juliet's collar. We are going to... Oh no, I almost forgot to tell you guys the most exciting thing. Um, the cover for my third book has made its way to moi. If you are not in the street team or the fanged family, then you have to wait until it is published on social media. And that's fine if you want to wait for that. But street team and fanged family, they get to see it before anybody else. And I have to say, I am. I, this is the least amount of work we've ever had to do on a cover. Normally we go through a few rounds, but this one, there was only one tiny thing that needed fixed. And then it's good to go. So that is very exciting, which means they're just going to work on the manuscript. They're just going to mimic the previous two books, the interior design. So it should be relatively easy. Uh, I'll read it one last time. And as long as there's no errors, then we're looking at a, a sooner release date than I thought. But if you want the release date before anybody else, you have to join my fanged family or my street team. You're probably getting sick of hearing me say that, but I just want to make sure you guys understand. Don't get mad at me if you're the last one to hear about it. But if you've been waiting for the third book, baby, it is coming. And I, the only thing I'm going to say about the cover is you will finally get to lay eyes on somebody who many people have told me that they just absolutely love. So you'll finally get to lay eyes on that person. 
So watch out for the cover of Fatal Curse. I'm so excited. And now I'm thinking possibly I might have it on the table in Philadelphia in June, which if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said there's no way we're going to pull this off. But maybe, I mean, maybe if your girl never sleeps again, I can pull this off. Speaking of never sleeping again, as much as I love my vampire tea, tonight we're going to be drinking water because... Yours truly has had a great deal of caffeine this evening, so water tonight. All right, now we're going to jump into it. In honor of St. Patrick's Day, I wanted to choose an Irish film. For those of you who don't know, I myself am Irish. Uh, those on YouTube will see the uh, Gaelic tattooed around my arm. Um, so I'm so excited. Uh, this is one of the few times in the year where my um, children are also very proud to be Irish. It's pretty much the only time I hear about it. So in honor of St. Patrick's Day, I did want to have, oh, and in honor of the, oh man, did Ireland like take over the Oscars last weekend. My goodness, I was so proud. So I found an Irish vampire film that has been on my list for quite some time. I had never sat down to watch it. I did not know very much about it. However, it had shown up on a lot of those like best vampire movies to watch lists. So I, when I realized it was an Irish film, I said, well, that's it. The planets have aligned. Let's do it. And we are talking about Byzantium. Byzantium. That is correct. For those of you who are new to the podcast and you've chosen for whatever reason, this is your first episode, um, spoiler alert, I will tell you everything. I will tell you who dies, how they die, who hooks up with who, who breaks up with who, all of that stuff. So just be prepared. If you want to watch Byzantium before you hear me ruin it, then you should pause the podcast right now. But if not, let's do a summary. For those of you who have not seen it, um, or for those of you who have seen it and were a bit confused about what was happening, let's do a summary of Byzantium. In 2010, an old man, Robert, picks up a discarded note dropped by teenage vampire Eleanor Webb, who has taken to writing her life story and then throwing the individual pages to the wind. Realizing what she is, the old man invites Eleanor to his house and tells her that he is ready for death. Eleanor proceeds to kill him and consume his blood. Elsewhere, Eleanor's mother, Clara, is chased from the lap dancing club where she was working. Werner, a member of the vampiric brethren, demands to know where Eleanor is and captures her after an extended chase. Clara decapitates Werner, burns his body, and leaves town with her daughter. See what I'm saying? I ruin everything. Eleanor and Clara seek sanctuary in a dilapidated coastal resort. There, Clara sets her sights on a lonely soul named Noel, who has just inherited the Byzantium Hotel, a once-thriving business that has fallen into disrepair. Eleanor plays the piano in a restaurant and is approached by a young waiter named Frank, who takes a shine to her. Having seduced Noel, Clara turns the Byzantium into a makeshift brothel, and Eleanor jo joins the local college, which Frank also attends, interested in her past. Frank questions Eleanor, who writes her story for him to read. Not entirely believing it, he shows it to their teacher, Kevin. 
The story revealed in a series of flashbacks over the course of the film begins during the Napoleonic Wars when a young Clara encounters two Royal Navy officers, Captain Ruffin and Midshipman Darvell. Much to the dismay of Darvell, Clara leaves with Ruffin, who forces her into prostitution after taking advantage of her. When Eleanor is born in 1804, Clara leaves her at a private orphanage. Years later, Clara is dying of what appears to be tuberculosis when the brothel is visited by Darvell, who has become a vampire. He gives Ruffin a map to the island where people can become vampires if they are willing to die. Clara shoots Ruffin in the leg, steals the map, and makes her way to the island to become a vampire. Darvell finds Clara and takes her to the Brethren, the secret society of vampires that protect the secret of vampirism. Lots of secrets. As their members have traditionally been male nobles, they are appalled that a low-born prostitute has joined their ranks, but decides to spare her life, warning her that she must abide by their code. But she must play no part in their brotherhood. Clara, alone and desperate after her banishment, secretly visits Eleanor at night. Shortly afterwards, Clara's decision to spare Ruffin comes back to haunt her when the vengeful, syphilis-ridden captain turns up at Eleanor's orphanage and drags her down to the basement to take advantage of her. Desperate, oh, Clara murders him, but it is too late, for Eleanor is condemned to a slow, painful death. Desperate to save her daughter's life, Clara takes Eleanor to the island and has her transformed into a vampire, violating the Brethren's code. Uh-oh. So the Brethren begin hunting Clara and Eleanor. Now in the 21st century, Eleanor falls in love with Frank and decides to help him turn into a vampire so they can be together since he is dying of leukemia. Before killing him, Clara finds out that Kevin knows about Eleanor's past. Noel is accidentally killed, falling down the lift shaft when Clara tries to prevent Eleanor from leaving the hotel and succeeds in trapping her in the lift. While Clara is out dealing with Frank, Darvell and Savella, the Brethren's leader, posing as police, find out from Kevin's colleague Morag where Clara is and go to kill her. Clara leaves without killing Frank when she realizes that Eleanor is in mortal danger. The brethren kidnap Eleanor and drive her to an abandoned fairground to destroy her, only to be stopped by Clara. After killing Morag, Savella battles Clara and ultimately subdues her. Savella hands Darvell his sword, which he took from Byzantium during the Crusades, so he can kill Clara. Darvell, who's always harbored feelings for Clara, kills Savella instead. On the run again, Clara leaves with Darvell while Eleanor takes a weakened Frank to the island so he can become a vampire. I know that is a lot, but we are going to go ahead and break it down. Okay, vampiric references and crossovers. Johnny Lee Miller plays Lord Ruffin in this, and he's Simon in Dracula 2000 and Roger in the movie version of Dark Shadows. And this movie is directed by Neil Jordan, who, if you know vampires well, you will recognize he directed the 1994 interview with the vampire. So some nice vampiric crossovers there. Some trivia. At one point, Clara says that her name is Carmilla. 
And for those of you who love vampires, you'll know that this was the name of the female vampire in a gothic story written by an Irish author named Joseph Le Fanny. So that was a nice little um, homage to vampires. Let's talk about these vampires. Their relationships to humans. Like I said, the vampires are unknown to humans. They walk amongst you, they feed on you as needed, but you are unaware that vampires exist. Appearance. They are human appearing except for one thing. They have a sharp thumbnail that grows when they need to feed to puncture arteries um, on their victims so that they can drink, which leads me into the next thing. I'm dismayed to inform you that these vampires do not have fangs. The nail grows out, they puncture an artery, um, they drink from the artery, and that's it, no fangs. Yes, they drink blood. That was the next category, blood. Yes, they drink blood. Food. We never see these vampires eat or drink, uh, and um, uh, Clara, when we first meet her, like I said, is in a club dancing, and there's liquor everywhere, um, but we never see her drink anything. Just blood. Sunlight. These vampires can be in the sunlight without issue. So obviously, when we're talking about sleep, they can sleep anywhere they want to because they don't have to worry about the sun. So these vampires do not climb into coffins. Holy items. This is never addressed. Rules. Now, we know that vampires have to be invited in because Eleanor shows up to Frank's birthday party, and at this point in time, he already knows about vampires, and he says, do you have to be invited in? And she nods, and so he kindly invites her in. Later, Clara shows up at Frank's house to kill him, and he refuses to invite her in, so that's nice. Now, this is Clara's rule, but her rule is if you tell a human about vampires, then that human must be destroyed. It is the brethren's rule that females cannot be made into vampires, and if somehow one slips through the cracks, females are not allowed to make vampires. So very misogynistic. I don't like it. Um, also, they only let Clara live because she swears to keep this secret, um, but when she betrays them and turns Eleanor, then that is why they are on the run, because they've broken this cardinal rule. And we know that breaking it... Um, sentence you to death because uh, Darvell was supposed to kill her but kills his uh, cohort instead. Okay. <clears throat> powers. Other than immortality, they don't have any powers. There's actually an on-foot chase. They're no faster than humans. They don't appear to be extra strong. Now, at one point, uh, Clara jumps from a balcony and lands on her feet, so they seem to be agile at least and um, probably somewhat indestructible because a, a human's knees, I'm sure, would cave under that jump. However, she just runs. So there's no mind control or turning into bats or anything like that, just immortality. That being said, immortality is a nice perk. How are they made? So we know that Eleanor is at least 200 years old because Frank says, how long have you been playing the piano? And she says 200. <laughs> we see a few turnings in the flashbacks. So I'm going to try my best to explain this to you. 
In the first one, we see Eleanor being turned. Clara and Eleanor are at the entrance of this cave. And when they pan back, it appears to be a stone structure that is very out of the way up. You have to climb this huge mountain to get up to it. It's like right by all these waterfalls. And walking into this stone structure, you immediately are attacked by like a flock of birds who go out of this hole in the top of the structure and then you see someone in front of you. And for Eleanor, the, the thing in front of her appeared to look exactly like her. We see somebody have their throat cut and then the other one drink from it. I'm a little confused if human Eleanor drank from spirit Eleanor and then became vampire Eleanor, I'm not sure. Now, the next time we see one of the men turned and in that one, he walks in, the spirit looks like him, and the spirit violently attacks him and feeds from him. But in all of these scenarios, there's the flock of birds, you see the spirit in front of you, and the spirit is what turns you. And the, the thing that they keep saying over and over again is, you can only be turned if you are prepared to die. So when you walk through that cave, in order to see the spirit, you have to be ready to die. Um... I think it is sort of an exchange thing. I think the reason that we see human Eleanor drink from spirit Eleanor and then we see the spirit for the man attack the man is because at some point in time there is some form of exchange. So I'm going to assume spirit drinks from you, you drink from it, and there's a turning. I will tell you I don't know what this spirit is. They, they refer to it as a couple different things but never do they actually explain what this original vampire is. So it's kind of implied that it's some kind of ancient spirit. The one thing I'll say is every time a vampire is turned, the waterfall down the mountain by the structure turns red. So that's how we know that another vampire has been made. Uh, heart beating or breathing. So. Clara does say that they breathe, but we never hear if their hearts beat or not, but we at least know that they breathe. How do they die? We see two vampires die in this and both are beheaded. So we can assume beheading is the way to kill these vampires and both are beheaded and then set on fire. So I don't know if you have to set the body on fire or if they're just trying to be very thorough in their murdering. But uh, that is the two things that we see happen. Are they good or are they bad? So we've talked about this many, many, many times. In this world, like many other worlds, the vampires can choose if they are going to be good or they are going to be bad. Tropes I love and tropes I hate. Tropes I love. You know I have a love-hate relationship with this one, and it's the vampire um, reacting to a human injury trope. Quite often we see the human is chopping food and cuts their finger, and the vampire turns away from this tiny little paper cut um, or, or knife cut. We, in Twilight, it's a paper cut. We see this one a lot, right? This one I love <laughs> because in this one, um, Frank, who, like, like you, I said, it, it, um, has leukemia, so he's on blood thinners as to not clot, and he cuts his wrist and blood is 
gushing out of this boy. And he's running, and, sh and, and Eleanor's running with him to try and save him, and they're getting him back to his parents. And he's holding this rag on his uh, radial artery that's gushing everywhere. And they he drops the rag, what is, is drenched in blood, saturated in blood. And she's staring at it, and she's sort of deep breathing and trying not to react to this this rag and finally Frank leaves with his parents and she snatches that thing up and just starts sucking on it like it's a snow cone so I loved it because if she walked away from that rag and nobody was watching I was gonna call bullshit no way but they actually used this one very well I, I appreciated it and you know that I love storytelling through flashbacks. That's one of the joys of a vampire tale is that you can have centuries to flash back to, which means you get to have different costumes and different wars and different ways to show the time. And it is very well done in this one. It just lets out pieces of the story throughout the movie. And, and so it's just like a piece dropping into the puzzle a little bit at a time. And so it's very perfectly done. And you do not see the whole backstory until the end. Um, I love that Frank says to Eleanor, oh, don't give me that my existence is torture line. I laughed out loud because we all know how much I hate a brooding vampire. And I love that he verbalized this to Eleanor because once he recognizes that she's a vampire, um, you know, she's sort of doing the, you don't want this existence. And he's like, don't give me that BS because he's dying of leukemia. And so I thought, <laughs> I laughed out loud because we all know I hate that trope. Um, I think you know what I'm going to say about tropes that I hate. I want my vampires to have fangs and not be in the sunlight. Personal opinion, it's a classic that's the way I like my vampires. I don't appreciate when they can be out in the sun and they don't have fangs. Now, the nail puncturing the artery is, is better than them using human teeth to bite like the Twilight Vampires or Roman um, from uh, Hemlock Grove. But I still, I want them to have, call me, call me a classic, but I want them to have two sharp fangs and, and not be in the sunlight. Okay. We made it so far with only one issue. We have made it to the ratings. How scary or evil are the vampires of Byzantium? So these vampires can be in the daylight. It's very hard to see that they are vampires until it is too late. Because, you know, with some vampires, you know the second those fangs come out, but with them, they can just have that hand behind their back as the thumbnail grows. And by the time that thumbnail is going into an artery, you're done for. It's too late. Um, they do need to be invited in. So unless you're inviting them in without realizing it's a vampire, that's a way that you can protect yourself. Also, I don't think there's very many of them. I have a feeling that they're sort of a rare species. They're not very fast. Um, but they do appear to be very hard to kill. Like I said, we see Clara jump from a balcony and take off. She lands on her feet and takes off like a cat. Uh, you would think that they are discreet, 
since the one rule is lay low, but Clara leaves several bodies in her wake. <laughs> and one of the brethren snaps the neck of a human just for crying too much, just because she was being annoying. Yes, they survive on blood, but they use a thumbnail. So I do feel like it would be easier to stop them because instead of them striking you with fangs, they're kind of reaching with a thumb and I feel like you just grab a wrist and push them back. They're not stronger than humans, uh, so I feel like you could fight them off, but who knows. All of this being figured out, this was a tough one, but I landed on giving the Vampires of Byzantium a 5.5 out of 10 stakes to the heart for how scary or evil they are. Yes, they are a bigger problem for humans than a vampire that is bound by the sun. But that being said, Clara is so focused on protecting her daughter and the brethren are so focused on not allowing girls into the club that I feel like in all of this, they're not really paying too much attention to humans. So, okay. How sexy or alluring are the vampires of Byzantium? Clara is very sexual, but not in the way you're thinking. She uses sex to provide and get what she wants, but she's not really interested in sex. It seems like she's using what she has, but at the end of the day, she'd rather rob you and drink your blood than take you to bed. Human men are drawn to her, but I think it's because she's hot and not because she's a vampire with some kind of special allure. The male vamps don't appear to care about sex one bit, and if they did lower themselves to sleeping with a human, which I don't think would happen, but if they did, I get the impression they would be very selfish in bed. All things considered, I don't see these vampires as sensual or the kind of dangerous yet enticing vampire that we're accustomed to. They get the honorary point for being vampires and one point for the females being very beautiful and knowing how to use their sensuality to their advantage. But that's it. The vampires of Byzantium and, and the boys, I'm telling you, it was the girls that got you these points. But um, two out of 10 onks for sexiness and allure. What are my thoughts on Byzantium? This movie was very beautiful to watch. The setting is lovely. The pace is slow, but it's not boring. Like I said, you get these nice pieces of backstory that come out and then we come back to the present and then go back to, so it kept your interest. Um, the action is done in a way that is interesting, but not overwhelming. The music is just perfect. It's all done in a way that sort of lulls you. And I thought that was very well done because that's sort of what the vampires do is they kind of lull you into being comfortable before they strike. Um, like I said, you get these little pieces of the story over time and it's not until the end that you get the whole story and understand why these girls have been on the run and why the mother and daughter are constantly clashing. It reminds me of Only Lovers Left Alive in the way that it takes its time. But I found myself more into Clara and Eleanor's story than I was in Adam and Eve's story from Only Lovers Left Alive. I'm also very intrigued 
by what the spirit is that turns these select humans into vampires. I loved the waterfalls turning red. It was so beautiful. And after Clara's turned, she stands under this water, this red waterfall and it just gushes over top of her and it was just breathtaking. But I would love to know like what the spirit is and where did this magical mountain structure come from and what is the backstory of this? I get an idea that this is very, very ancient, whatever this spirit is. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, how essentially the um, vampires are demons that have jumped into bodies. And this, this went way, 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 way back to the time where demons were roaming the earth. It kind of had that sort of feeling like possibly the spirit was around thousands of years ago and it's the last of its kind. I would love to know what that story is. I absolutely adored the love story between Eleanor and Frank. I love that Eleanor and Clara at the end go their separate ways. Um, you have the feeling that at some point in time they will meet up again, but they were very toxic for each other. And so they both go their separate ways with men. You get the idea that they're going to find love and happiness separately. And that I just, I, 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 I was there for that. As I've said, I don't like vampires that are fangless and in the sun. However, one of my favorite things, and the reason I do this podcast, is to see these many different interpretations of vampires that are out there. That was the whole point. You know, I want to see new ideas. I especially love to see vampires integrating and existing through time, walking amongst humans, centuries old but unknown. So I always love to see how creators have their vampires adapting to the new world. This was one of those times that I truly did love that the creator took vampires and made their own virgin, version, not virgin, version. I would much rather watch something like this than sort of the same old thing rehashed again and again and again. Or even worse than that, something that was done lazy and half-heartedly and cheaply just to get something out. This is a good vampire film for someone who wants a break from the usual vampire films. There's nothing wrong with seeing Dracula again. I'm so excited for Renfield to come out. However, I do get tired of the rehashing of Dracula or the rehashing of the same stories. So this was one of those times where, while I personally would not write my vampires that way, I enjoyed that somebody else took it and took their idea and brought it to life in such a beautiful and unique way. And that is my review of Byzantium. Very excited. Um, so for those of you who are just listening, we had just one issue. YouTube will get to see it. But other than that, it went great. Um, next week, we will be doing the Nicolas Cage film Vampire's Kiss as we count down to the release of Renfield, which I am so excited about. I'm thinking I will go see it opening night and probably just make it a bonus episode, so watch out for that. I cannot wait to see Renfield. If you haven't seen the preview yet, do yourself a favor and go watch the preview. All right, everybody. 
If you haven't seen the cover yet of Fatal Curse, then watch my social media for it and um, watch for the announcement of the date that the book will be released. In the meantime, I hope you all had a wonderful St. Patrick's Day and I will see you in a week and I wish you wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening.